Well, welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17 today, verses 20 through 37. And we're going to be talking about the second coming of Christ. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get right into the Word of God. Father, we bless you. We thank you. Now, Lord, uh, make the Word of God come real to us. Father, give us revelation. Lord, both in the speaking and in the hearing, and we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, in Luke chapter 17, we'll go ahead and read our text, and then we'll be talking about the second coming of Christ. Beginning in verse 20, it says, And when he had demanded of the Pharisees, when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto, his, said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall see, desire to see, one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there, go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lightens out of the one part of the heaven shineth unto the under, other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day he which shall be upon the housetop, and his stuff in his house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life, and Matthew records, whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two in one bed, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two men in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together, or the vultures will be gathered together. So there is a definite time where God is going to bring judgment upon this world. But you and I as Christian believers don't have to fear that time because we know from the scriptures that the coming of the Lord is going to take place in two phases. First, he's coming for his church. And then second, at the end of the tribulation period, he will come with his church. So the first coming, first appearance, we'll say it that way, uh, we call the rapture of the church. Now, this is a definite doctrine of scripture. It is not uh, somebody's whim. It is not somebody's direct, somebody's uh, personal revelation. It is in the scripture of God. And we're going to go ahead and look at that right now. So in this session, we're going to be talking about the first appearance, and that is the rapture of the church. Now, <clears throat> even though the Lord doesn't directly mention the rapture of the church in above, he certainly does intimate it, especially with those that are taken and those that are left behind. But he does tell us something in John chapter 14 
that sets the pattern for end time events. And that is uh, beginning in verse one. Notice uh, Jesus says this. John records it. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So in this passage of Scripture, Jesus sets an end time pattern and he's using the wedding feast. Now, there's five main parts to the Jewish wedding feast. First of all, there's the ketubah. And that is the negotiated wedding price. Whenever a man casts his eye upon a young virgin and determines that uh, that young virgin is going to be his wife, he makes arrangement within the families for a negotiating price. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that negotiating price for our redemption was the cross. And after there is a uh, that negotiating price is settled and then there's a pledge one to another. And then there's the sealing of that pledge through the cup. That's very interesting uh, when we think about the last Passover supper where Jesus partook of the fruit of the vine. And he said he would not partake of the fruit of the vine until he had come back. And then after the, um, uh, the negotiating price and the sealing of the pledge, uh, the groom says this, I go to repair a place for you. And when I prepared it, I will come and return and receive you unto myself. That's the departure. So we see that Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. He was seen 40 days uh, with his disciples. And then he departed. He ascended up into heaven. And he's currently at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for us. Well, while the groom or the husband is gone, the bride makes herself ready. And that's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. Be ye also ready for the Lord will come at a time when you think not. So the bride does many things. She makes her wedding dress. She makes sure that it's without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That it's a wedding dress that when her husband to be sees it, he is going to be uh, that's going to be accepted. And of course, we have that model in Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty seven where Paul says that Christ is coming after his bride, the church, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And she also busily prepares her wedding party, her ten virgins. And they'll all make their preparations and they'll all be ready. And of course, they make sure that they have plenty oil because usually the call or the midnight cry of the, of the husband coming after his bride is usually at midnight. And then she busily and eagerly awaits for that cry. The midnight cry, behold, the bridegroom go out to meet him. And so the groom approaches the bride's home. He's attended by his best man and by other friends in his wedding party. And uh, the bride, the she busy, dresses in her gown, takes her oil and everything that she needs to take with her. And she busily and hurriedly with her virgins goes out into the street to meet her husband. And so when the groom gets there, uh, he inspects his bride, makes sure everything is correct. Make sure that the wedding dress is not dirty or wrinkled or anything like that. And then he takes his bride and he takes her back to the father's house and to the bridal suite where the consum- where the marriage is consummated. And of course, the uh, 
the wedding party is with them and they're singing and there's lots of rejoicing and uh, there's shouts and cries and things like that. And so whenever uh, the bride and the groom get to uh, the father's house, they separate themselves, go into the bridal chamber and they <clears throat> consummate the marriage. And they stay separated from the wedding party for seven days. Now, when the consummation of the wedding is announced, then the wedding party engages in seven days of feasting and celebration. And that's exactly what's going to take place in, uh, in this scenario that Jesus talks about in John chapter 14. This is the pattern. You know, Jesus came, he paid the price, he went away, and he's going to come again. And while he's gone, the bride makes herself ready. And so when the bride hears the shout, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. We're going to be raptured and we're going to be where he is. And while we are enjoying seven days of feasting in heaven, rejoicing around our Savior, the world is going to be plunged into seven years of the darkest time in its history called the tribulation period. So we want to go ahead and we want to establish, first of all, the, uh, the rapture of the church. And we want to talk about uh, how it definitely is going to take place. And we'll find that over in First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning in 14. Now, verse 14 says, and notice what notice what Paul says here. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, let's pause for just a moment. And let's consider that verse. Notice how definite Paul is about the rapture of the church. Because he tells the Thessalonians and he's telling us, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, then that's an absolute necessity. In order for us to get saved, we have to believe that Jesus died and rose again. Paul told the Romans that. He says we are to believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that we believe in the whole sacrifice of Christ. We believe that Jesus died on the cross. We believe that he was buried in the tomb and we believe that he rose again and that everything that was necessary and sufficient for our salvation and for our redemption was done at the cross. And God acknowledged that and justified Jesus by raising him from the dead. And then also Paul said this. Notice he says, if we have to believe in our heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. In other words, make full confession of our surrender of Jesus Christ. We repented of sins. We ask Christ to come into our heart and life. We confess that. We confess that he is our Lord and Savior. And he grants us eternal life. So that's settled doctrine. That is the basic foundation doctrine of the Christian church. And no man, no man without doing this can be saved. Jesus is the only way that you and I can get to heaven. And so Paul, with such definite detail, says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring him. So the rapture of the church is a definite event. And it's the next event to take place in the future destiny of the church. And then Paul goes on and he says this, beginning in verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord 
shall not precede them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be, now I want you to notice these words, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now we're talking about midheaven. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now I want you to, uh, in verse 17, I want you to notice the definite expressions in Paul's language. He says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, with the dead in Christ, in the clouds, talking about midair, to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So going back to verse 14, it's a statement of a fact. If we surely believe that Jesus died and rose again, rose again, that's how surely we are to believe in the rapture of the church, that it will take place. And that the dead in Christ will rise first, then those that are alive and remain will be caught up. Now that's the Greek word harpazo. And it means to seize. It means to snatch up. It means to snatch away. And notice that Paul says, we shall be caught up. Or we could say it this way, we shall be raptured to Christ and will be with him forever. Now, that is the most definite statement that we have, direct statement that we have, the rapture of the church will take place. But now we want to know <clears throat> how the rapture of the church will take place. And of course, Paul tells us this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 53. So let's go ahead and read it. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Now what Paul is speaking here, he's talking about our death-doomed physical bodies that are corrupt, that are getting old every day, that weaken every day, that are subject to sickness and disease every day. This is the body that is not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So what are we going to do? Well, Paul explains to us. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. That's the Greek word musterion, and it's something hidden. It's a mystery that is to be revealed. Notice what Paul says. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's how the rapture is going to take place. We are going to be changed. Speaking specifically of our physical bodies. Now let's read on. Verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Notice the definite terminology, we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now see, this is Paul telling us how the rapture is going to take place. Now, just a side note here, the letters to the Thessalonians were Paul's first letters, and they were written probably about 10 years or so after the resurrection of Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so the letters to the Corinthians were probably at the midpoint. So we're talking about another uh, 10 or so years uh, after the Thessalonian letters were written. 
And so Paul is describing the same event, the rapture of the church, but he's giving greater detail. And also we see in this passage that flesh and blood, our mortal bodies are not going to go to heaven. They have to be changed. And how will they be changed? They will be changed into incorruptibility, which means absolutely no corruption. And how's it going to happen? Well, it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. In an instant, without a second of delay. Our bodies then will be incorruptible. They'll be immortal. And they'll be ready for heaven. Praise God. Amen. So that's how the rapture is going to take place. Now, we want to also know uh, not just how the rapture is going to take place, but we want to know uh, when it's going to take place. And this is very important. So <clears throat> Paul, once again, uh, speaking and writing to the Thessalonian church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he speaks to us and speaks to them. And of course, he's speaking to us too. Uh, when the rapture is going to take place. And we'll find this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren. Notice this now. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about, in this passage, he's talking about the coming of the Lord, and he's going to set in order the things that are going to take place in order for the day of the Lord to begin. And he says again, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord and by our gathering together unto him. Once again, notice that. And by our gathering together unto him. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. We'll go ahead and read this out and then we'll go back. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he is God sitting in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So Paul tells us in verse 1, first off, before he says anything else, that the rapture of the church is the first event to take place before the day of the Lord begins. And he uses the term, our gathering together unto him, which is the Greek word episun agoge, and it simply means that. It means a gathering together. It means an assembly, like a synagogue meeting on Shabbat where the people of God gather together to worship the Lord. And then he says this, there's two things that must take place before the Antichrist, the man of sin, is to be revealed. Now, this is very important. Number one, there must be a falling away first. And I think we have clouded and we have uh, defined this word apostasia uh, not as uh, conclusively as we should have. Because primarily this word means a falling away. But it also means a departure. And the word departure was the English translation of this word apostasia used in every English Bible up until the Geneva Bible was published. And so what Paul is talking about here is this falling away is a twofold happening. 
Now, we already know that there's a falling away of the ecclesiastical church. This has been going on now for many, many, many years, a generation or so, where the denominational church now is turning away from the word of God. They're no longer preaching the gospel. They're preaching a social gospel. And they've corrupted themselves by allowing the world into their churches. I'm talking about sexual preferences and I'm talking about radical ideologies and uh, replacement theologies and things of that nature, which have really spoiled the churches, corrupted them and neutralized their power. And so he's talking about the falling away and we already see that taking place. But there is another happening and that is going to be the departure of the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these two things must happen before the man of sin can be revealed. There is a falling away. And isn't it interesting that on that day where the armies of the Antichrist at Armageddon meet uh, the Savior, that many of those within the ranks of the Antichrist will be church members, but not Christians, certainly not Christians, so far removed from the worship of Christ that they no longer acknowledge that he even exists. And of course, the second thing that must happen is the departure of the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, that is the rapture of the church. And so after these two things happen, then the man of sin will be revealed. Now, the Antichrist, he cannot come under the sin. He cannot come on the scene until the church is gathered to the Lord. Now, we know this through verses six through eight. So let's go ahead and read that. Now we know what withholds that he might be revealed in his time. Talking about the restrainer. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now lets or hinders will hinder until he be taken out of the way. Now who is Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about the restrainer of sin. And that is the Holy Spirit. And so when the church is raptured, the Holy Spirit is going to be removed. That is the only way that the man of sin is going to be able to be revealed and the day of the Lord begin. And notice verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So we know the distrainer of sin is the Holy Spirit. And we know that he works through the church. And we know that both are going to be removed from the earth. And it is then and only then that the wicked one can be revealed in the day of the Lord begin. So now that's the rapture of the church, how the rapture of the church is going to take place, and when the rapture of the church is going to take place. Now in this last section, we want to find out who goes and who is going to be left behind. And of course, in this world with egocentric man, he's divided the human race into all kinds of categories. Race, ethnicity, politics, behavior, sexual preference, even preferred pronouns. All these have to do with our selfish self-being. Has nothing to do with God because God has grouped all of the human race into three groups. And we know that from 1 Corinthians 10.32. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. Those are the three people groups that God has divided all of the human race into. We are either a Jew by birth or we are a Gentile by birth or we are a member of the church of God by new birth. And a Jew, he cannot be born a Gentile. A Gentile cannot be born a Jew. 
but both Gentile and Jew can be born into the kingdom of God. And when they are born again into the kingdom of God, into the church of God, they're no longer a Gentile, they're no longer a Jew, but they are a follower and a believer in Christ Jesus. Now, <clears throat> each one of these groups has its own future destiny. But there's only one group that has a bright future, and that's the church of God. So we'll begin with the Gentiles first. We'll, we'll begin with the unsaved. If the Gentiles do not accept Christ as Savior, they'll miss the rapture. And so what happens then? Well, the first thing is they're going to have to endure the Antichrist throughout the seven-year tribulation period. And believe me, that's not going to be an easy task. He's going to control the politics. He's going to control the military. He's going to control the economics. He'll make economics so stringent that the only way anybody could buy or sell is to receive a mark in their forehead or in their wrist. And whoever does that immediately condemns themselves to eternity in the lake of fire. But now I want you to understand also that before the tribulation period is half over, before it concludes, half of the world's population are going to be killed by famine, war, pestilence, and catastrophe. Now think about how many billions of people are in the world today. Think about how few that are going to be raptured. All those are going to be left, and they're going to be vulnerable. So the person who misses the rapture, who is not going to take the mark of the beast, he's going to have to figure out a seven-year plan to stay hidden and to survive until after the tribulation period is over. And considering today the, the way that governments are able to track every human being over the face of the earth, how the economics is going to be so stringent that you're not going to be able to go to the grocery store. The person's not going to be able to buy. He's going to have to have some type of way of dealing underground. And I'm sure that there, and there will be many who will make it through. That is for sure. But one thing is for sure, that this is not the worst situation. Because if the Gentile dies, he'll go to hell. Because his trial will already have taken place while he was alive on earth. And so he will already have been judged guilty. And so he will go to hell and he will await his turn at the white throne judgment, which will be the sentencing phase of his eternity. And he will be cast alive into the lake of fire. So that's the destiny of the Gentile that does not and will not receive Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord. Now, once the Gentile does accept Christ, his life then becomes very easy. He comes into the care and the love of his Savior and God will watch over him and take care of him. Now, what about the Jews? Well, they'll fare a little better. Now, after the rapture, God is going to bring all the Jews into the land of Israel. And there's going to be agreement to let them come in. And they're going to believe in the false Messiah, the man of sin. And they'll follow him until he breaks his covenant with Israel and then seeks to destroy Israel and its people. And the prophet Zechariah reveals that half of Jerusalem is going to be taken. And two-thirds of the Jewish people are going to be killed. And the carnage and destruction will be so great throughout the world that Jesus himself said, unless those days should be shortened, no flesh should be saved. So the Lord is going to have to intervene to stop Armageddon. And that last third who remain are going to see finally Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Messiah. But all the Jews that have perished without Christ will go into eternity without Christ. 
And so the unsaved Jew, he winds up in the same dark destiny that the Gentile has in his future. But now what about the church? Well, the church is going to escape the wrath to come through the rapture. And they will be celebrating with the Lord Jesus Christ while the world is plunged into its darkest seven year period ever in the history of man. The church is going to be rejoicing around their savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the only reasonable, prudent and wise decision an unsaved Gentile or Jew can make is to bow before the cross and do it now. Repent of sin. Confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and be born again. Now, I want to ask you a question as we close. Have you made that decision? If you haven't, make it today. Don't wait. And definitely, definitely do not be left behind. Father, we bless you. Thank you for this day, for your goodness and for your mercy. Take this word to heart and we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.